For a Living is brought to you by the Illinois Economic Policy Institute and the Project for Middle Class Renewal at the University of Illinois. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the For a Living podcast, our eighth episode. I am your host, Frank Manzo. I serve as policy director of the Illinois Economic Policy Institute, and I am once again joined today by both of my co-hosts, professors at the School of Labor and Employment Relations at the University of Illinois, Professor Bob Bruno and Professor Emily LaBarbera Twarog. Today's episode is about African American employment and unemployment. Of course, the rationale behind this podcast this month is that it is Black History Month. The focus of this episode is around a report that both of our organizations released today, February 6th, called Policies to Reduce African American Unemployment, Investments in Education, Infrastructure, Public Employment, and Housing. And the link to that report will be in the show notes of this blog and of this podcast. And that report was authored by me, Frank, and Bob across the table. So, with all of that in mind, we will discuss uh, specific policies that states and local governments can take. And in particular, we're focused here on Illinois and Chicago to reduce unemployment, the unemployment that is so prevalent Mm -hmm. in the African-American community in our area. Yeah, and it's good to to be doing this show, Frank, um, as we celebrate Black History Month. Um, And and, and the idea for the research that we did here in Illinois uh, was that the, uh, the Economic Policy Institute in Washington had done a brief looking at uh, unemployment rates uh, for uh, African-Americans across the country and had noted that the rate of uh, African-Americans unemployed compared to uh, white uh, residents in Illinois uh, was well above what was the national average. And that so that Illinois particularly, uh, had a very high uh, unemployment rate for African Americans. And so we thought we should focus a little bit uh, on that and then, you know, try to come up with some recommendations that may not be the most commonly thought of ones uh, to come up with. Lots of people work on these subject areas, and we didn't want to just recycle what some other folks had done, but to also talk a little bit about, uh, well, here, here are some recommendations that we think have some statistical relationship with reducing uh, unemployment. And and one thing I just, maybe to start us off, and I know, uh, Frank, you have uh, just some summary of of the report's findings, but one of the things I uh, recognize from a lot of research uh, in in this area is that it just, you know, we like to say that a rising tide lifts all boats. And Emily, I know you're doing a lot of economics teaching uh, with us, for us. 
And we do look at those charts that show from the 40s, 19, right after World War II to the early 70s, you know, all of the different income brackets and labor economists like to use quintiles. So you've got the 20s, right, Frank, the lowest 20% to the highest 20%. Right. And kind of report in those categories. And what we see, if you're, if you're looking at a bar graph, is they, from that, in that time period, boy, all of those groups grew. Mm-hmm. And they grew about the same percentage-wise, and maybe a little bit, in fact, I think a bit more for folks the that... poorest end grew more, not significantly no. more, but right. yeah, it was yeah. about equal advancement. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that is true. So a growing economy, good labor policy, strong labor movement, uh, there's every, but, it is, but it was never true that everybody was benefiting equally, right? Right. And... Uh, and so you couldn't use as an argument, well, the reason African Americans or Hispanic Americans or women, and although this report has to do with unemployment for African Americans, African, uh, Black History Month, quite frankly, the discussion is, can be much broader yeah. uh, than that. It was never true that you could make the argument, well, as soon as economic times got better and there were more opportunities, well, you know, then the unemployment rate would go down for people of color. In fact, there's almost, you know, and Frank, there may be some sort of correlation to how this all works that we've looked at. Uh, but uh, frankly, even at times when the economy was really growing, it wasn't true that it was growing, that, that uh, economic opportunities were as equally good uh, for non-white males for for right. example. So you didn't just fill the gaps in through a growing economy. And that meant that maybe even unemployment, when unemployment was increasing, it wasn't increasing equally for everybody. That suggests there must be other factors at play, right, that are creating just this, this, this disproportionate impact. And that's what we should be doing some research talking about and writing a report about yeah, I mean, I think I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to bring up what was the structural barriers that um, African Americans have faced. And I think Emily can maybe chat a little bit about some of the, his, you know, the history. Uh, in our report, we note a couple, and there are many more, um, but we report that African Americans have actually been severely impacted by job losses in manufacturing, mm-hmm. that African Americans were disproportionately uh, employed in manufacturing, and as those jobs have been lost... Uh, African Americans have been what economists sometimes call the first fired, uh-huh. and so when so even when manufacturing plants have stayed, when they've shed workers, if those workers have t- tended to disproportionately again be more African American workers. Um, that could have you know something to do with skill sets and everything else, but it also could trickle into one of the other uh, structural barriers we talked about, and that's just the overall racism that you know has plagued America. Uh, a lot of people thought it was on the decline, and now there's concern about whether or not that was true. But race-based discrimination, just in terms of hiring, let alone you know who you fire, is also a, a structural challenge that you know many African Americans are excluded from these high-wage jobs or don't have the pathways into the jobs. Or if if it's apprenticeship training, sometimes this is one of the things mm-hmm. we'll talk we talk about. Some the the apprenticeship training site is located out in a suburban mm-hmm. or a rural area where, you know, if it's, if they're building roads, it makes sense because they're out by the, you know, where the highways are. But if they're trying to recruit 
African American, young African American men or, and women sure. who don't have access to a car or transportation out there, that's a problem. So um, those are some of the structural barriers we talked about, uh, kind of from the economics pers- perspective. But obviously, there's plenty more. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about is absolutely right. That yeah. cycle of poverty, right? I mean, it's it always strikes me that it's um, you know the the sort of the generational disadvantages that each generation potentially has, right? So blacks historically have been um, economically disadvantaged for all sorts of reasons, right? Right. Overt racism, unconscious bias, you know, all sorts of things, right? Um, poverty, lack of access to um, equal schooling, all of those things, right? But what it also means in in sort of today's economy, right, is that even if you gain, even if you get into, say, that, that job training program, mm-hmm. you know, if your family doesn't have the means to help you be able to get to and from that program, right, then you're out of luck, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas it's something that other, um, you know, more privileged families may just take for granted, right? Um, and, and I also, I'm struck by, you know, I mean, there's a lot of structural barriers, absolutely manufacturing, of course, obviously the, the attack on the public sector as That's well. That's one. The yep. public sector has been, you know, historically a place that has... Mm-hmm you know, uh, been a place for African-Americans and other workers of color and women um, yeah. to, to gain um, a foothold and, and access good jobs. But also we can't dismiss the, um, the rates of incarceration, yeah. right, and incarceration trends, which, which is something to me that it's, you know, the statistics are, you know, they vary, but you're talking about one out of six African-American men um, face incarceration in a lifetime. And with the trends going the way that there are, that's ultimately going to get to a point of one in three, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, when we talk about 1946 and unionization rates, one in three workers were in unions. Now we're talking about one in three African-American men are facing prison. Um, that's not necessarily something that's going to lead to that middle-class blip we're hoping to, <laughs> to reclaim, right? Um, incarceration, you have one out of um, 15 African-American men face incarceration, one out of 36 Latinos uh, face incarceration versus one out of 106 white men. These are, I'm talking about men here. Um, out of the t- over 2 million incarcerated people in our country, 1 million of those are African-American, right? Oh, no. um, you're looking at six times the rates of whites. So, you know, if that is your perspective, right? Let's say you're, you're growing up in uh, a community where... It's a poor working class community. And the reality is that such high rates of your population are, are tracking into prison and not into building, you know, an apprenticeship program of whatever kind or um, some other kind of tra- training program or college or city college. I mean, that, the, 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 the reality is that you're more likely to encounter a peer who's heading to jail than college or, or some kind of job training program. You're just... You're, it's just like that is that is a social, physical, emotional barrier, you know, mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. I would say almost impossible to overcome in mm-hmm. some ways, in many yeah. ways, right? So, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it, you know, and obviously, um, 
well, we've all, I guess we'll just get to talk about President Trump in every single podcast now, but, <laughs> right, you know, he's called out Chicago as this place of, I forget what it is. Well, I, he truly talks about, he throws the word carnage in America around a lot, and yeah, I think carnage, he applies it to yeah, Chicago. Right. So, right, so in the, if your study reveals, right, that we have a, even higher rates of, of um, unemployment among African-American men specifically, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But they're not rebounding and recovering at the same rates as other communities, um, and obviously, we also have you know um, higher rates of gun violence and and drugs and I mean all of these things. The other piece of this, of course, is not having um, you know is is overlapping with that the other structural barriers such as you know a main street right like a grocery store like anchor businesses in your community um, that create kind of a more stable community right. That's something that you can compare the African-American community with the Latino community and see very stark differences, mm, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot. I mean, there's just so many. It's not enough just to say, try harder, which right. is what I hear a lot of people say. Oh, you just have to apply yourself and try harder. The opportunities are there to have. Yeah. It's, it's, not that, it's not that simple. And it's right? never been that it, it's it's never never been been that it hasn't been that simple no, for white males who came from more right. privileged backgrounds. Frank, did you have some statistics or something from the report you wanted to note before I... Yeah, well, I mean, we might as well jump in uh, into our report, which, uh, as I noted, will be in the, uh, on the blog and in the, the show notes. But uh, the unemployment rate for... And again, we, we're only looking at the unemployment rate, which there's plenty of other metrics to look at, whether it's the employment rate, the employment to population ratio or incomes, but our report focuses specifically on the unemployment rate, which is, you know, measured every single month. It's standard. It's, you know, everyone understands it. Um, The unemployment rate for African-Americans in America is 8%. For white workers, it's 4%. Again, the national unemployment rate is around 5 right now. So it's 8% for African-Americans, 4% for white workers. And and in Illinois, the African-American unemployment rate is as high as 14%. Um, in Chicago, it's it's about that as well. But again, for younger African American men, it's you know t- it can be up to twenty five percent and even higher, depending on uh, some people consider a, a rate of joblessness and being out of school too. I'm out of work and I'm not in school. And that rate is forty oh percent in in Chicago, and that was from twenty fourteen. So rates have probably gone down a little bit. But again. It's still a very high impact Wait, in what's Chicago. Twenty percent. Yeah. So the the yeah. jobless uh, rates, the jobless and out of school rates. So so not in school. So the unemployment rate is measured by people who are who are out of work and looking for work. Right. This rate is people who are out of work, uh, looking for work or not looking for work, or people who are not in school. Who when you're in school, you're not included in the unemployment right. rate because you're out of the labor force. You're right. So it's, amongst African American men or African Americans. Uh, young African-Americans, again, this is the ages uh, 20 to 24 in Chicago. So here's something that our report touches on. Yes. Um, so that's where, that's where we're at. So then now, we're, now our report discusses not only Chicago, but of course the rest of the country. How do we address this unemployment? How do we lower the unemployment rate for African-American, African-Americans in general? Good, good, uh, good, good setup, uh, Frank. So uh, one of the things we talk about in our report is, uh, is education. Right? Yes. No one would... Uh, would, would even question the importance uh, of, of, of education as a stepping stone to economic prosperity in Illinois. And so how we fund education 
is critically important to this. Yes. And I think it's particularly uh, adding a pernicious effect uh, that's disproportionately felt by uh, people of color, particularly African-American uh, males. So Illinois is heavily dependent on local property taxes mm -hmm. to fund their schools. And what this means is that you end up with these amazing, these severe disparities between the, the wealthiest school districts that can tax their people up to the max. They can pass referendums. They have a lot of property value. Uh, and that plus a little bit of state money leads to a, 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 you know, a, a significant amount of money. And then you have other school districts that frankly have a much lower base, have much higher property, uh, higher poverty rates, and can't afford to spend as, as much money. So Illinois has actually the most severe disparities. It is 50th out of the 50 states yeah. in terms of the disparity between the richest districts and their prop local property tax capacity uh, and, and the poorest. And so as long as we're going to continue to allow local communities to fund, uh, to, to, to fund education, and that the state of Illinois is going to continue to turn to the communities to meet the state constitutional obligation to provide, and I'm not sure I'm quoting it quite right, but that there's, the state is supposed to provide an adequate, I think that's the word, it may be a little stronger, uh, but there is supposed to be this adequate level of, of funding for education. And that's a right that every child has in the state of Illinois. Yeah. But the state actually doesn't meet that burden. It pushes it off to the, to, to the local uh, community. And as long as we keep funding it that way, then we've got a, a vicious problem. Because in, you know, unless you can make all of those communities, and we're going to talk about other possibilities, to revitalize every community, mm -hmm. right? So, well, that it's, so that it's truly prosperous, so that it can tax its taxpayers in order to provide the funding that people need to, A, stay in school, not drop out, but maybe then go from school into a community college or go into an apprenticeship program to gain additional schools or go to college. Um, we're, in fact, going to leave out, right? We're going to leave out people uh, of color, particularly African-American males, uh, Chicago uh, being a perfect example, of you know, we're gonna leave them out of that economic ladder. We're gonna keep them off that economic ladder. Yeah, I mean, this directly plays into two of the other uh, policies that we found that make a difference. Po these are policies and economic phenomena um, that make a difference in reducing African American unemployment across the country, in particular in urban areas. But it's across the country. These are close as close to universal truths as we can get. <laughs> yeah. um, one of them is, and it directly related to education, is. If you improve the the percentage of African Americans that have a bachelor's degree, mm -hmm. right? So the the way your play, yours plays in, right into it is if the you know the education system is in, inequitably funded right. and the poor students from let's say black neighborhoods yeah, right, right. are going to the worst schools and and are getting a lower quality uh, education, they're less likely then to go on to as we as we noted to. College, and then if that's the case, then um, the unemployment rate is, is likely to, to go up. And that, I mean, we, that makes sense in general. Most people get that education pays, and if you have a college degree, you're less likely to be unemployed. Um, the other way it plays into it is 
one of the findings we have that was interesting is that a lower cost of home ownership yeah. actually is, is uh, related to uh, lower uh, unemployment rates. Right. So if the average home value goes up, it, the African-American unemployment uh, rate in that area goes up as well. So it just costs so much to live there, um, the, it, it's much harder to find jobs. So again, and property tax is a part of home ownership, not the only part, but a component, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another one we found. I'll just run through a couple of the others, really two of the other big ones. And, and Emily touched upon this, that um, African-Americans and, and men, um, or, and women, I'm sorry, are more likely to be employed in the public sector. So by boosting public sector employment, we find that states and, and local governments actually improve um, African-American unemployment and reduce their, the, the rates of joblessness. Uh, and then increasing uh, investments in public transportation because mm-hmm. African-Americans are much more likely to, to use public transit than, than whites and, and other groups. And so by connecting those workers to jobs elsewhere, it's, it increases um, employment among the, the, that, that community. So those are the big ones. And then to conclude my little, little, little spiel on what we found, you know, we didn't just focus on these. We focused on a number of policies uh, as over 16, I think we, we focused on. Um, and there are many that don't have an, an impact on, on reducing unemployment. So we, whether or not the county that we looked at was in a right to work state right, right. had no impact. The foreign-born share of the labor force, the immigrant share, having more immigrants in a community did not uh, take jobs away from the African-Americans in that community. Uh, And then a couple others, I mean, we we accounted for other demographics, um, but those are kind of the key ones. You know, higher veterans share, we were wondering if more veterans had any impact, and it didn't. So, um, you know, we wanted to control for everything we could. And these are the policies that make a big difference. It's, it's It's housing, it's public education, it's public infrastructure. Um, it's you know property taxes to a public degree. Employment. It's like, discrimination. Sounds like the New Deal state, right? Well, I think we also can't under. I mean, so I absolutely right. right on all of those things. I think you know we also can't dismiss those. Um, you know, just that number is staggering, right? This forty percent of young um, mm-hmm. of of sort of young African Americans who are jobless. And out of school, right? Um, in Chicago, and I, I, I think about the, um, you know, that that group and the the group, right? You know, the the ten year olds to the twenty year olds, right, are so um, easily influenced by both positive and negative peer peer pressure, right? Sure. So we talk so much about the, the the negative impact of peer pressure, bullying, this, that, whatever, um, but but also. We have to think about the positive impact of seeing your peers um, go on to no, college no, or community no. college or job trade. Like that, there is something after. Like that, there is a completion of that. The expectation is that you complete high school and then you go on and you do something. Um, I, I'm always wary to say that the 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 thing you should do is go to college. I think that there are a lot of mm-hmm. options that that are. But that there is an idea that there is life after high school, right? That is not incarceration or homelessness or joblessness, right? That it's that it doesn't dead end there, right? So what does that mean for that ten to eighteen year old group, right? One, just keeping them in school, but also that the the model of like, well, what's your incentive when you see this incredibly high rate of unemployment? Yeah. Like, wh- why even bother? 
what's my incentive for staying in school? I have no incentive for staying in school. I have no incentive, even if I'm staying in my crappy, poorly funded school, right? What's my incentive for staying here? We can't underestimate the power of that, right? And and I think that, you know, even in those, and I don't want to, I want to be clear that we're not like painting a a broad picture of just like misery. Like there are, you know, wonderful things happening in poor communities, there's gardens, there's life, there's, you know, there's, there's struggle and there's fighting to improve our schools. But there is a reality that, that the, that the social, cultural, institutional racism that sort of is interested in sort of perpetuating, right? These disparities. But then I was also thinking about the, our previous blog, uh, previous podcast about, um, you know, I mean, we're in Chicago, right? So if you look at a map of Chicago public transportation, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we're a highly segregated city, right? We have yes. African Americans predominantly on the east, uh, the west, and, and south sides. If you look at like how many L stops there are on the red line or the you know green line, yeah, 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 Good. They're, they're like half of what they are on the north side, which is yeah. predominantly it was just more affluent, predominantly white. Right. So people, you know, okay, fine. So fine. You're working your minimum wage or or $10 an hour job. You're having to commute often very long way on public transportation to to keep that job. And if in even with the best of intentions, if your scheduling is off of your child, I mean, all of those other pieces that we talked about in our last podcast create almost an almost impossible scenario mm-hmm. um, to be able to balance yeah. all of that. You know, I mean, I know people who spend hour, hour and a half one way, you know, in public transportation to get to their job, yeah. right? That's not a great job and doesn't have a reliable schedule. And then you're having to get all the way back home to your family and manage all of those things. So I mean, it's just yeah. all of those things that, that are uh, factors, point. right? That, um, mm-hmm. That, yeah. that perpetuate the, the 40% number because there's yeah. not a huge incentive, right? To yeah, like go right. work a $10 job that you're spending three hours out of your day commuting back and forth to that's not a reliable job to begin with, you know. Um, yeah, that's correct. And I've been, you know, doing this sort of like uh, anecdotal surveying of my students just having spent so much time in the building trades, union halls, the training centers this, this month, um, you know, like how, you know, how do you get into this how do you get there how do you get into these training programs you know and it's like i knew someone who knew someone who knew someone you know even yeah. for you know even for the folks who like who may have had somebody in the trades you know even for the white guys who know you know who's maybe had a family member in the trades still were applying three four five times to get into these sure. programs still needing to know somebody to get into them um you know there's the handful of go-getters who like go on the city website and figure it out. I mean, but it is by no means like a straight shot to, you know, get into these programs. And, um, and it often is a matter of like knowing somebody to know somebody to know somebody to know somebody. And so, you know, who do you know? So I don't think Frank, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we talk about it in this report uh, in part because we've covered the subject in others, but uh, this idea of, of creating ladders and access into yeah. middle class jobs, particularly, but not just in the construction trades, but construction, manufacturing. Um, I know Emily has an interest in apprenticeship 
type programs that would apply uh, to the fast food uh, industry, for example. Uh, but in a, in a report that we had previously done, actually Emily, Emily's a co-author of, you know, we did talk about... We'll link to it, too. Yeah, okay, fantastic. We did talk about diversity uh, opportunities in construction and through these, these marvelously privately funded, mostly unionized pre-apprenticeship uh, uh, programs and, or, or apprenticeship programs, excuse me. And, and what's been helpful to bring disadvantaged populations into those trades is to, to develop what are called pre-apprenticeship programs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and almost always, they're done in cooperation with unionized building trades That's who begin to really invest in trying to diversify because they've struggled with it yeah. uh, for decades. Um, and so there are community groups that have gotten involved, churches have gotten involved, and, and there's, some, there's a particularly uh, uh, significant one, uh, Chicago Women in the Trades, and there does seem to be an interesting correlation that when you advance the interest of women yeah. in the trades, you bring with you, correct Emily, uh, people of color, right? Uh, so these are some really positive things that you're seeing develop, and we want to encourage more of those. Yeah, I mean, and just to add to that, and um, you're talking about a report you guys did together, even in a, a report that you and I did together, right. Bob, we found that uh, this is really is an industry-wide problem. It's not a union, yeah, non-union problem. Although the union trade uh, um, joint labor management programs do actually have a higher rate of African Americans yeah, and yeah, women right. than the non-union ones, that's correct. But it's still much lower than you know it needs to be. So sure. uh, it's an industry-wide it problem. It varies trade to trade, trade for to sure. sure. It does, and you know, and, and there's an example uh, in New York where the they're yeah, been, brought in a lot. They're made concerted efforts to bring in a lot more uh, women and people of color into the trades. So there are efforts going on around the country, and I think Chicago just needs to start you know, learning from them, and we need to actually start replicating that um, you know, at a local level. Because I think our report was really about a local level, but it was really because we're looking at the unemployment rate, and the unemployment rate is very broad, right? It's not yeah. a sector or an industry-specific We weren't doing a sector industry. That's group. correct. Um, yeah, it was, it's very broad. So our... Our conclusions and our policy recommendations are also very broad, and right. it's it's more about investing in workers and through education, and investing in public transportation, and investing in yeah, I think that's um, critical, and, and and bolstering public sector employment instead of attacking it and getting rid of public sector jobs, um, and you know basically easing the cost burden of, of home ownership. You know, Those are our big takeaways. And and, and, and related to this mm -hmm. subject of bolstering. A, a robust public sector, which has, a, you know, putting aside those employment opportunities uh, is also good for the state. You know, it's actually good for mm -hmm. uh, the, the people who want the assets of their state and their community uh, protected. But we, we know from other research that where uh, public workers, public sector workers reunionize in the states that had higher union densities of public sector workers, you found... Uh, you found uh, a, a lower rate uh, of austerity policies implemented, right? Yeah. So where you had those collective bargaining agreements with public sector workers, they were advocating, not just for their jobs, but they were advocating for the service. Yes. They were advocating for the agency. And a large percentage were women, people of color, uh, working in those agencies. And so austerity didn't bite as deeply into those communities and into those in, in, into those states, so there's a relationship, quite frankly, you know, between between promoting equality of, of employment opportunities 
and policies that enable workers to organize uh, into unions, in this case, in the public sector. Mm -hmm. So attacking public sector workers is an attack on African-Americans. It's an attack on African-American communities. And yes. it's going to increase inequality. So you can't solve the problem by de-unionizing Illinois right. or America. You know, there, there are some models that are um, refreshing and kind of that we can, I think, look towards. So one of the examples is in Washington State, um, where um, the, in the women's prisons, there's actually these pre-apprenticeship programs that are, that are collaborative between the Department of Labor, the prison system, and the building trades, in which women are getting pre-apprenticeship training and doing all of that training while in prison so that when they're released from prison, they're being, they have a pathway to good employment, right? Which then ends that cycle, right? Because so much of the problem with, okay, so we have these like crazy high rates of incarceration, especially among black and brown people, right? Um, but we're not, you know, our prison system is not based on rehabilitation at all. And in fact, we're moving further and further away from rehabilitation with the privatization of the prison system, right, which is a profit-driven entity, um, when really the purpose of prison, and the vast majority of people who are in prison are nonviolent offenders, right? So if you have mm -hmm. these, like, pre-apprenticeship programs, so in Washington State, it's, it's right. kind of an exciting, I think, example of, like, how all of these various institutions can really work together, and then the end result is, you know, having really solid apprentices coming in, you know, that have had a good apprenticeship program, pre-apprenticeship program, um, that are highly motivated to do well, right? Now, I don't know what the retention numbers are, but, um, you know, I think it's an exciting model to look towards, um, for sure. Um, and something that, you know, it, it's not a matter of just sort of throwing your hands up and saying, well, we're just going to write off the, you know, we want to, we, we want to cut off people from getting into prison, right, by focusing on education system and making it more equitable. But we also need to be talking about how do we, you know, yeah. make those who, those huge numbers of people who are in prison, how do we help focus on training, job training, rehabilitation, building, you know, a future and a career and not just dealing with the economics of that, but also the social, emotional, cultural. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, to your point, context. too. Um, one of the problems with looking at the unemployment rate, so we look at the incarceration rate in these counties, um, and one of the problems with looking at the uh, unemployment rate is that it has, there's actually two effects of incarceration. Yeah. One is that um, <laughs> when when these work when these uh, you know people who are more likely to be unemployed are incarcerated, that actually improves the the unemployment <laughs> rate. The unemployment rate goes down because they're taken, they're out, taken out of the, the labor force. Out of the, yeah. Yeah. And then the other the other flip side of it is that when there's this huge incarceration rate in these counties, when people are rehabilitated and put back into the labor force and and released from prison, they're still a lot less likely to to get a job. So that has yeah. the other effect, and it raises the unemployment rate. So um, so. What you're talking about is, is exactly the way to – there's got to be the front-end side to reduce incarceration so that it's not – there's this book out now, right. and it's been out for a couple of years, called the, you know, the New Jim Crow, sure. and it's about mass incarceration um, to prevent it, but also, as you said, all these solutions to get – so that these workers actually have a, you know, a chance to work again. And, and not only – and not just in a low-wage job, but in a, a good job where they can support a family and where it doesn't pay to be a criminal, essentially. Right. Um, and it doesn't pay to, to do yeah. – you know, to yeah. – to sell 
just, you know, to harmlessly, uh, I would argue, sell marijuana on the street or whatever, right? right? So I think well, that's, that's a whole other story, right? I <laughs> yeah. mean, I just, the, the legalization of, of, you know, medical marijuana and selling marijuana, which is becoming this multi, what, billion dollar industry yeah. that's predominantly oh. open to white people, right? right? Because you can't have a business if you were formerly incarcerated. So all these, you know, entrepreneurs <laughs> who end up spending time in prison, <laughs> Are, are out of luck, yeah. right? But meanwhile, oh my. Unfortunately, white men making millions of dollars off of the oh legal geez. sale of marijuana. Unfortunately, the data we looked at was we really focused on 2014, <laughs> where it was available data at these county levels. Like, you know, over time, especially as long as nothing happens at the federal level to, to shoot down these states and these local governments, it will be interesting to see if this has had an effect. A positive effect on unemployment rates or on you know entrepreneurialism on wages and all this other stuff so i i'm really uh, encouraged uh you know emily cited what was happening in washington state and there are programs there is pro there is a very productive uh effective program that has helped to diversify employment opportunities um in the building trades in in peoria Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the West Central Building Trades Council and employers are actively engaged in that. Uh, there's, uh, there are folks in, in the East Central Building Trades uh, Council around the Champaign area who are very much interested in addressing you know, these sort of issues. There are, uh, there's attention paid to you know, uh, not forever stigmatizing an ex-offender you know, by changing policies having to do with uh, filling out job applications. I think you know, there, there are these, uh, there is an appreciation that we need to do something about properly funding uh, public schools. There are very, very strong advocates in a state like Illinois, fifth largest state population, fifth in, 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 in economics, in, in, the, in the size of its economy, that you've got to have a strong infrastructure. You've got to make, you have to build rail, you have to build transportation, you've got to get people uh, to jobs. So th there is a lot of, you know, there's a, we, we, we see these horrible statistics and we see how certain populations, particularly uh, people of color, are impacted. Um, and, that, and, and that is really terrible. But I don't see people just sitting on their hands. I think right. there are really people being creative, looking for creative ways. And the more we hear examples mm -hmm. of doing these kinds of training programs, like the one that Emily uh, mentioned, and we, and we hold up the other success stories that we have, uh, we do shine a light on how we can really significantly make a difference. And maybe the bottom line is, is that everybody involved, and let's not lose sight of the fact that employers do the hiring mm -hmm. uh, around here, right? That, that's still true in, 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 uh, in the United States under American capitalism. Uh, and, and governments play an enormous role uh, in creating the opportunities that people have, uh, that if people acknowledge that there is the problem, Right. right, we 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 can't. We have to stop pretending like there isn't a disparity, uh, and that doesn't mean you have to finger point and call everybody a racist, right? Right. But we have to acknowledge that everyone's child is not getting an equal opportunity uh, through the schools. We've, we've got to acknowledge that not every uh, adult has the has the, has equal access uh, to uh, to jobs, uh, and so when we acknowledge that, right? When we acknowledge that. And recognize that, uh, you know, quite frankly, how much human capital is being wasted 
How much better off the state of Illinois would be, Chicago would be, if those African-American males, women, Hispanics, were actually, right, actually uh, 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 pursuing higher education, mm -hmm. in apprenticeship programs, working in middle-class jobs. Becoming an entrepreneur. Becoming an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That's right. If we could actually do that, how that would lift up the, the economic wealth and, and, and improve the quality of life in Illinois. Because this is human capital mm -hmm. that's going on. And that's why... The talent is, is, going, is being wasted and, and that's we right. can no longer afford that. And that's why the most enlightened institutions understand that diversity is a value proposition. We can't afford not to have those people... Uh, to have people who who look different than us, use different, you know, talk in a different language, come from different places, we have to include them in these opportunities uh, because there is just an enormous waste of, of human capital that just further pulls. Ultimately, it pulls it pulls everybody it pulls everybody down. So mm -hmm. uh, I think I think there are more people who understand that than than, than aren't. I mean, I think that's a great place to conclude. So. Thank you all for listening. I do hope you get a chance to read our reports from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute and the University of Illinois Project for Middle Class Renewal. Uh, the report, again, is called Policies to Reduce African-American Unemployment. I also hope that you take some time, uh, even if it's just a couple minutes out of one day this month, to go, through, to go back and, and consider um, American history and how that has impacted uh, your African-American neighbors and friends and co-workers. Maybe we'll, we'll list a couple of interesting books you could read if you're interested in exploring black sounds history a little bit idea. more. Sounds like a great That's idea. great. That sounds great to me. So for Bob and Emily, I've been Frank. Thanks for listening. All music on the For a Living podcast comes from the 2015 song Pass Pied by the Punch Brothers.